I was always attracted to bands that had a bit of a social message in them, like Napalm Death, which is a UK band, is one of my favorite bands ever. Those bands always spoke about things that were dear to them and things that mattered in their minds. And so I kind of like to take that, and I think a lot of other metal musicians do too nowadays, and have some kind of positive message, even though it's delivered in a brutal way and the focus is on the dark side of it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Based News Podcast. This week's episode is hosted by me, Polly Foreman, the editor of Plant-Based News. I'm so excited to say that our guest this week is Dirk Verburen, the drummer of one of the biggest thrash metal bands of all time, Megadeth. Dirk was born in Belgium, and he now lives in LA with his wife, Hannah. He was previously a member of the Swedish death metal band Soilwork, but he joined Megadeth in 2016. Dirk developed a profound love of animals from an early age, and he has memories of bawling his eyes out after accidentally killing a fly and shocking his parents by once bringing a dead bird home. This love of animals spurred him on to go vegetarian in the noughties and vegan a few years ago. Now, if you're not big on metal music, you might be surprised to learn that the drummer of a thrash metal band with death in the title is such an ardent animal lover. But there is a definite link between metal music and veganism, as well as a huge number of vegans in the metal community. I loved hearing from Dirk about this topic. We also discussed how he deals with being vegan while touring, the conversations he's had with his Megadeth bandmates about veganism, and probably the most surprising revelation I've ever encountered from an interviewee, the fact he only heard The Killer's Mr. Brightside for the first time a few weeks ago. Literally, how has he got through life without it? Thanks so much for joining me, Dirk. Let's get to the episode. Dirk, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to speak to you. I was wondering if we could start by just having a little bit of a chat about your vegan journey. When and why did you go vegan? Well, I've always been somebody who had deep feelings about animals. I, uh, I remember some stories uh, from when I was very young. Uh, my parents uh, related this one story to me about where I, I guess I was like messing about with a fly and I accidentally killed it. You know, I was probably three or four years old and I, and I started bawling. That was one. And another one, like probably a few years after that, I came home with a dead bird that I found in the street and I wanted my dad oh. to help bury it. <laughs> And, you know, I was like six or seven, so obviously this was just how I felt, right? Uh, it's always been there. But I never really considered the plight of animals in, in, in our current industry, or however you want to call it, in the way the world works right now, where a lot of animal agriculture is, is just very bad. I never really considered that until I met my wife back in uh, 2005, my wife, Hannah, who had been a vegetarian since she was fairly young because of ethical reasons. And so just... Spending time with her and talking about it really opened my eyes to it. And, and I eventually, I became vegetarian pretty quickly after I met her and eventually decided to go vegan about seven or eight years ago. I don't remember the exact time, but that was basically the, you know, the instigator is just learning more about what's actually happening in the world and how animals are being treated. For sure, for sure. And it's so interesting you say that you had like that love of animals since childhood. I think that's the same for so many people. We all have the, a natural compassion for animals from birth, but society just kind of teaches us that it's fine to eat them. And the reality of farming is just so completely hidden away from us. I think most people say that they're animal lovers, but they're directly funding industries that harm them. And they'd also be completely appalled by the reality of what they're buying because these industries lie to us. As someone who loves animals, do you find it, I don't know, like frustrating when people say that they love animals, but they're not vegan and they just don't know what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it can be frustrating for sure. You know, I think I think a lot of it, though, has to do with, like you said, it's conditioning. And I remember being that person. I remember when I was living on my own and, and kind of making my own life, I, I, I considered that a meal without meat was not a meal, you know, because that's how I was brought up. And you just get conditioned to think like, here's my cat or here's my dog. Oh, those are, you know, they're my friend, they're a family member. And then, oh, cows and pigs, whatever. Oh, those are to be eaten, right? You don't even think that they're exactly the same really because if you put a dog next to a pig this is a comparison that's made a lot these days you can see that online a lot but they're essentially the same you know they they behave in very similar ways and and of course this goes for all animals they all have a personality and and a desire to live that's you know the sentience is like the common trait so i used to get really frustrated and then i realized that in talking with people, trying to convince them and trying for them to change their mind, you know, usually people get even more guarded and, or start being even more attacking those ideas. So I quickly realized that that's not really the way to go about it. And, and the frustration turned more into like, well, I understand I've been there before. 
I just want to set a good example and try and inspire people by how I do it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, I'm exactly the same. I used to feel the same way and it took me so long to make that connection. I think lots of people, when they finally do make that connection, they have like a light bulb moment, whether it be a documentary or seeing an advert or a video on social media. Did you have that kind of light bulb moment when you turned vegetarian or vegan or was it more of a slow process? Yeah, there were definitely certain videos that I remember seeing uh, that really were shocking and changed my mind. And I think that's the beauty about having this so at our fingertips nowadays. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of that stuff, of course, the industry hides what happens because, you know, if everybody was had that in their face all the time, a lot of people would stop eating animals. And so it's to their benefit, right, to keep all that as hidden away as they can. And But of, of course, nowadays, you can't keep that stuff from being filmed and being online. And I remember one thing that actually it's kind of not really to do with directly with agriculture so much, but one movie that I just happened to watch once on a, on a plane as I was flying from to some tour or something that I was doing was the movie Sharkwater by um, the late Rob Stewart. You're underwater and you see the thing that you were taught your whole life to fear and it doesn't want to hurt you and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And your whole world changes. The one animal that we fear the most is the one we can't live without. Nature created them for a reason. Now human beings just, they don't care. There's no campaign like a Greenpeace campaign to save the sharks. They scourge you the ocean and everyone should go and catch one. Future generations are gonna think of us as barbarians. I needed to know why people were killing sharks and what I could do to stop it. So I embarked on a journey that would change my life forever. That really, you know, I, before that, I was I was already definitely vegetarian or possibly even vegan at the time, but I hadn't really considered how bad the situation in the oceans was, and uh, and so seeing that, I remember it was really tough for me to watch, and I cried, and I, uh, you know, I really decided to get even more active after that and do more things, and I ended up collaborating with them. Uh, I just did a thing with Sea Shepherd recently. Animals are animals to me. I love sharks and sea animals too, so. So uh, those were all like eye-opening moments. Yeah, that's so interesting about sharks because I think those kind of animals that humans traditionally have feared, like sharks and crocodiles and snakes and things like that, like people forget about them. People forget that they're victims. Like we kill 100 million sharks a year and they kill about five humans or whatever. Like, so what was the, what was the film about? What actually, what did it show? Uh, it's basically, uh, Rob was this, uh, he, he unfortunately passed away in a diving accident, but he was basically somebody who loved diving and who loved the, the, the ocean and who decided to make it his mission to educate people on the misconceptions you have about sharks. So he showed that sharks are just like any wild animal and that they're really not out to eat humans. They're not really interested in eating humans. But they're like you mentioned, you know, they get overfished radically and they get, you know, I mean, the, the way they're treated is horrible. Like... They get fished and they cut their fins off and then they throw them in the water to die this agonizing death. And it's just for what, you know, for shark fin soup, like which nobody needs. I mean, I know in in, uh, in, in a traditional uh, Chinese culture, shark fin soup is supposed to have all these health benefits and whatever. You know, I understand that those things exist. Like we all believe things like that, but, um, you know, in our in our respective cultures, but nobody needs shark fin soup. And so this is a completely unnecessary and it only exists because there's demand and there's a lot of money in it. And so 90% of sharks have disappeared over the past few decades. And that's something that if that doesn't open people's eyes, then I don't know what does. You know, for me, seeing that on the screen and learning about that was shocking. And like I said, it really, you know, pushed me to become even more of a... I'm, I'm like, I wouldn't call myself per se, like, because when you say you're an activist, you know, people expect that you're out in the street with, with signs and, and, you know, doing that stuff every day, like... My life isn't conducive to that. What I more try to do is use the platform that I have where people follow me because I play music to kind of show people this is what I do. You know, it works for me because as you probably know, and, and, and anybody who's vegan, like there's a lot of questions like, where'd you get your protein? and How'd you get energy? Like, I'm like, look, I'm a drummer at a pretty high level. Like what I do is not, you know, I don't play like pop music. Like this is intense. We play intense shows and I get all the energy I need. You know, I'm fine. I've been vegan for so many years now and if anything I feel better than than you know than when I used to eat animal products so so that's what I try to do is just show people by example like 
hey, I'm a shining example of like, it works if you want it to, you know, now this choice is up to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want someone to come to me and be like, you have to eat cow, you know, no way. Like, so I'm not going to do the same thing to other people. I, I just want to show them. Yeah, I think activism is really multifaceted. Like there are some people who, who are on the street, which is amazing. But then there's some people behind a screen raising awareness as you are. And I was going to ask about um, you're using your social media platforms to raise awareness, because obviously you touched on Sea Shepherd and other organizations. So why, how, when did you start doing that? And why is it important um, for you to use your social media in that way? I think I started doing it when I started having like a decent amount of followers and seeing more things myself that other people were sharing. You know, there, there are in the music community, there are quite a few um, people who are, you know, on the same page and following the same kind of ethical uh, journey than, than, than I do. And seeing that made me realize that, well, you know, I have all these followers. Sure, I can. And I mostly speak about music and what I do because that's why people follow me. But I should also every now and then put something there, you know, whether it's a collaboration with an organization like Sea Shepherd or Sharkwater or the NGO that I co-founded called Savage Lands, which is about reforestation in Costa Rica and trying to preserve territory for all the animals there. Uh, yeah, I might as well, you know, use that because sure, you know, being being recognized for my art is, of course, something that is very gratifying and it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, I never thought I would be here one day, like making a living, making music that I like and, and playing an instrument that I love. But I also, sometimes you get a little bit, I went through this phase, I guess, where I felt like it's very selfish in a way because I always liked music and I love, I've always loved playing instruments and drums specifically. And now here I am, like people pay money to come see me do something that I would basically do anyway, even if they weren't there paying me money. I understand, you know, I've thought a lot about this and I understand that we also, bands give people an escape from life it's important you know give them a couple hours of like where they can just let loose and forget their problems and so in a way there's there is like a social benefit to what what we do you know for for people who follow it but there was a side of me where i felt i was selfish and, and that i should also incorporate something that's for a greater good that's not to my benefit per se but that's just something that i believe would be better for humans for the planet for animals etc which clearly being vegan by any account is right so when i realized that that's when i decided to start peppering things like that here and there on my social media i think that's amazing like social media gets such a bad rep um, but like it, as we touched on earlier, it does so much for bringing awareness to veganism and what's happening to animals. Like it's probably been the best tool for that. But obviously we know social media can be a pretty terrible place sometimes. And there's all sorts of trolls and people on there. Have you ever got into any kind of difficult conversations with people about veganism or while you are raising awareness of any of these things? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've definitely had a few people unfollow me and <laughs> complain I posted, you know, but it's like, you win some, you lose some, you know, I don't really care. Exactly. If people are interested in me because of the music I make and then they don't like my ethics or the person I am, then that's okay if they don't want to follow me anymore. You know, I, I understand that. I, I've probably unfollowed a few musicians or, or people I was following because I was like, oh, really? That's what they stand for? Like, I'm not down with that. That's just human, you know, that's totally okay. I did realize that, um, to answer your question more specifically, that, you know, certain things are, are difficult to bring up. Like when you put really graphic videos up, some people just don't like it, even though they might be on your side or, you know, think similarly that you do. They, they don't like being shocked. You know, they, so I follow a lot of accounts where the videos are hard to watch because I kind of feel like my duty to do so. And I think I got kind of used to it. Not that I don't get shocked anymore because I do and I get hurt, but I think for me, it's kind of a reminder like that I'm on the right path, you know, because this stuff does happen. Other people just can't bear it. And I respect that too, you know, like I, not everybody has to, to, to watch horrific videos. Some people can just know that it's out there and, and, and make up their mind. Of course, unfortunately, a lot of people prefer sticking their head in the sun and pretending this stuff doesn't exist and buying their nicely wrapped, you know, chicken cutlets in the store. A part of me, when it comes to that, I tell myself, well, you know, these traditions and cultural you know, habits die hard. Like it's not something that's just, you know, as much as you and I and a lot of our fellow you know, uh, animal lovers would love for to just snap our fingers and like everybody becomes wise all of a sudden. That's not how the world works. You know, it's a slow process. And so I've learned to be patient and I've learned to do it post in the right amounts, like not too much at a time. Uh, even my wife will tell me 
sometimes. Yeah, I've shared quite a few stories recently about stuff. Maybe. <laughs> Or a few drumming things in there to keep people, uh, you know, <laughs> from getting upset. And I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever got into any arguments or have you ever responded co- to comments or are you just like, nah, just ignore them, don't feed the trolls? What's your kind of attitude to that? Yeah, nowadays I, I tend to, you know, unless if it's a really constructive criticism, I don't respond. If it's just like trolling, there's no point, you know. I'm not going to honor trolls with, with a response. It goes nowhere. But sometimes people will have a constructive comment. Or I remember one time I posted something about dairy farming and some people responded who are in dairy farming. And that, I think, is an interesting conversation to have. You know, regardless of where those people stand, we might be at complete odds over what we believe or what we think is right. But I think conversation is always important to have. The reason why the world is so divided right now in many ways politically is because of a lack of conversation, because people are just so against the other side that they don't even want to hear about it. And I understand that, you know, being here in the States with <laughs> the situation we've been in the past decade or so, or, you know, it's crazy. And sometimes you really just want to tell the other side to like get lost, but conversation is essential. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And speaking of Instagram, this is completely unrelated to veganism in any way, but I just thought it was funny. I saw you heard Mr. Brightside for the first time recently. Yeah. <laughs> It's completely off topic in every way. But I just I was wondering what you thought of it. I just can't believe you've got through life without hearing it. It's basically our national anthem in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, you know, I was surprised to find that, you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of fans of uh, The Killers and, and of that song have mentioned that to me. And a lot of them even say like, oh, you must be lying not knowing that song. But I honestly, I'm sure I've heard it. I'm sure it's been on, you know, in, in a store or on the radio or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't listen that much to the radio. I used to when I was uh, a teen, but that was way before The Killers. And uh, these days, I just, you know, you can see some of my record collection back there. I listen to a lot of vinyl. I listen to a lot of kind of specific music. It's not really much of a part of my my life for the past few decades. And that's probably why I missed it. You know, I'm sure it's yeah, that makes sense. Around, but, you know, if you don't really pay attention to it and it doesn't really grab you, then, you know, it goes, it goes by, right? I did that thing with Drumio, the video. It's interesting because uh, once I heard the song, I was like, I totally understand why this is such an anthem because it's a really good song, really catchy, and, and you know, it sticks in your head. And I definitely know it now. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why it became so big because it's obviously the Killers were from California or wherever, but it just became so big in the UK, and like everyone just kind of comes out the womb knowing all the words. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but like I think it just plays at every single wedding, every single party we have ever had. It's very weird. So yeah, you've spent your career in metal bands uh, and you joined Megadeth in 2016. Is that right? Cool. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about veganism and the metal community. I think when people who aren't aware of metal music think about metal music, they probably wouldn't associate it with veganism or animal rights. I guess for like an outsider, for someone who isn't aware of the community, I guess lyrics are a bit like scary and about death and destruction. And there are all these stories about like Ozzy Osbourne biting the heads off doves and things like that. So, but I think like what a lot of people don't realize is that there are quite a few vegans in the metal community. I think metal music is about rebellion and veganism, I guess, is a hugely significant form of rebellion against the establishment, against societal norms. So, I was wondering, do you think that there is a link between veganism and metal music? I mean, for me, there clearly is. You know, I think once we got kind of past the tropes in the 80s and maybe early 90s of all the, you know, uh, brutality and death and destruction that you that are kind of part of the metal sound, I think it became clear that like, wait a minute, some of the most brutal stuff happens 
in animal agriculture or in our oceans, you know, the way animals are treated. And, and a band like cattle decapitation built pretty much a, a name and a career on that, on showing the other side, you know, like they had an album called Humanure, where you basically see cows pooping out humans, you know, it's like, what if the roles were reversed, you know? So they really, they were, I don't know if they still are, but they were all vegans at the time in that band. And so they really took that like, yeah, we can keep this theme, but apply it to something that's not so much fantasy. Not to say that, you know, there is also a lot of human misery and death and destruction that's happening. I mean, we currently have two wars in the world. So it's definitely not, you know, the only misery is definitely not limited to, to animals, far from it. But I think if that's something that, touches you like it does you and I and, and many people, you know, there there's it makes total sense to talk about that in metal. And you're right that in recent years, you know, there have been a lot more outspoken metal musicians who put that front and center of their message and the lyrics. And I do so myself. I have a project that I do called Ben C, which is basically my own band. And I speak a lot about those subjects because that's what I want to talk about. You know, I'm not really interested in talking about uh, you know, horror movies or something like that. I love a lot of bands who do, don't get me wrong. Like, it's it's part of the theme. Like metal, you're not going to sing about sunshine and, and uh, you know, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> really fit. But I was always attracted to bands that had a bit of a social message in them. Like Napalm Death, which is a UK band, is one of my favorite bands ever uh, growing up. Another one is Gut, another UK band. Uh, and those bands always spoke about things that were dear to them and things that mattered in their minds. And so I kind of like to take that, and I think a lot of other metal musicians do too nowadays, and have some kind of positive message, even though it's delivered in a brutal way and, and, and the focus is on the, the dark side of it. I think there are just so so many like misconceptions about about veganism and who vegans are and stuff like that. Did you have any misconceptions before you went vegan about like what a typical vegan was? I'd say more vegetarian because uh, I didn't really get into the vegan concept until later. The biggest shock was like going from being a full on like European bread, you know, like meat in every meal uh, guy to being like, oh, I'm not eating any meat or fish at all. You know, that was a big shock, and I and I definitely did did not understand in the beginning how you can even eat because I was like, what, are you just going to eat vegetables? Like, you know, I thought that was impossible. Like, that, that, that's not good and it's not good for you and it doesn't, it's not satisfying taste-wise. The crazy thing that happens is once you start eating a lot of this, like, super spiced stuff, you know, you realize that vegetables actually taste way better than you thought. Like, I have a bigger, a much bigger appreciation for just raw foods nowadays than I ever did before in my life because we get so overwhelmed with stuff that's just processed and, and all that. Not that I don't enjoy a good impossible burger or, you know, a vegan chicken nugget or whatever I do, but I try to do that stuff with some moderation because ultra processed foods just aren't that healthy for you, whether they're vegan or not. So, so I really, you know, that was the biggest shock for me is like realizing that like, wow, you know what, like your plate of veggies can taste really, really good if you just take the time to taste it. Yeah, I think there's this misconception that vegans, like vegans have a more limited choice of what to eat, but I found the opposite. And I find that most vegans who I speak to actually like a much more varied group of foods than they did before because if you think about it when you eat meat you're just eating like meat and two vegetables and potatoes or whatever but when you're vegan you try all these different cuisines and stuff like that what's your kind of favorite vegan foods I know you live in LA which is like the vegan capital of the world so I wonder what like what's the scene like there oh so many good things it's amazing but I, 
I gravitate towards Thai food and Indian food. Those are two of my favorites, just uh, flavor-wise. In general, I've always loved rice, uh, tofu. It's funny because, you know, at the time when I was young and not at all into this community, my mom would make a lot of rice and tofu at home. Like she was kind of ahead of her time, even though she also ate meat. But, you know, she was always oh, that's really cool. health foods when I was, and this is like I'm talking in the 80s, right? So uh, way before this was any sort of thing. And so I always grew up around that. Never really understood tofu back in the day, but now I do. But Thai food, Indian food. There, there's so many different things here. Like there's a lot of blends, fusion of like American food with other styles, other cultures. Um, I also make a lot of stuff myself. You know, I, I love making a good salad. I love rice and beans. Like that's something that I've really grown to like. I have a pressure cooker. I just make a batch of brown rice. I make a batch of black beans, a little bit of olive oil, some cherry tomatoes on top. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> I don't need to put salt, nothing. Like it's just, and you know what? It tastes really good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I'm guessing you travel around a lot, obviously going on tour. So you've probably been to a lot of countries. What? How is being vegan while you're on tour? And what countries are good? What countries are bad? How have you found that? Uh, it's getting better. It's it's really improving year to year. I've seen a lot of uh, progress in, in Europe. You know, uh, the early years when I was touring, there wasn't really anything. Big cities are always going to be better, you know, no matter where you are. Even here in the US, you know, if you go to small town America, it's going to be hard to find vegan food you might you might get something vegetarian if you're lucky but that's probably going to be it so it's always you know the cities are better there have been a few times like i remember going touring with my old band in russia back in i think it was 2008 and yeah that was literally like here's lettuce wow right? yep i've been there so i've been in situations where it wasn't so fun you know but overall, it's really becoming more and more widespread. And I'll go to places like, say, Brazil, where I really didn't expect to find a full vegan restaurant. And you're like, wow, like that is crazy. You know, this is such a meat and fish country that like that's such so embedded in their culture. And, and yet here's a vegan restaurant that I can go eat. So I love the Happy Cow app, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Oh, it's so good. So oh. good. It's literally a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's like my one thing I need to have when I'm on tour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like whenever I've gone traveling, I've been to a lot of places in Europe, but like it's always you just ca end up counting on the chips. You can always have chips. So it's a safe option. I went to Paris earlier this year and we were in like a really traditional French restaurant and it was obviously just all meat and cheese. And they literally gave me, as you said, a plate of lettuce and they put a little bit of balsamic vinegar on and that was my dinner. <laughs> so it can be a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I lived in France for 12 years, actually, before, uh, or sorry, no, for 18 years before moving. Oh, to wow. Paris. I'm from Belgium originally, but I actually lived in France longer than I did in Belgium because my dad worked there. And so, uh, so yeah, France is very, you know, they're very, I would say, in general, pretty guarded about their cultural traditions and values. And so there's definitely, that's a country where I felt some resistance to like, what's all this like vegan bullshit kind of thing, you know, that kind of attitude, eat snails here and frog legs, you know, and it's like. So, you know, in some places you can tell that it's a bit more of a fight for like us to get their voices heard and to be like, yeah, we want some options on your menus or else we're just not going to come to your restaurants. But I think that's, like I said, you know, that's going back to we have to be patient with this. This is going to take some younger generations to grow up. Nowadays, I guess if a child is is, is young and, and learns from a young age, you know, to dive into what you mentioned, the, the, the natural emotion that we have when we see an animal, which is like we want to cuddle it and love it. I mean, maybe I don't want to cuddle an alligator, but you know what I mean? Like we have sympathy towards it rather than like, yeah, let's kill it. You know, if kids grow up around that kind of vibe more and have video online where that, that is celebrated more than, you know, I see more and more children that are like, I'm not eating animals. Like that makes no sense, you know? I mean, if their parents allow for that to be a thing, then then you have change happening because those people are not one day just going to be like, screw all that. Like now I'm going to eat cow. You know, that's, I don't think that's likely to happen. So they might try it. I don't think they're ever going to feel okay with it. And I think things have come along so much in the last few years. I've been vegan for about the same length of time as you, about 10 years. And like, so that was in 2014. And in the UK, you couldn't even walk into a supermarket and buy soy milk, really. It was so hard to find. But now it's just everywhere. And it's like basically the default oat milk here. So yeah, I, I'm feeling very positive about it. And I think it's come along really quickly in a, quite a short space of time. Hopefully the younger generations will sort it. <laughs> and honestly, we have no choice because... Um... It's unsustainable what we're doing, you know, and, and, and 
as as we can see with everything that's happening, you know, and it's gonna unfold slowly. But you know, I'm sure you're following all the climate summits and all this stuff. And and you know, the, the way I kind of look at it, I don't mean to be even smiling when I'm talking about this because it's all pretty depressing. But the way I look at it is like we're probably gonna be in a situation where things get really bad before they get good because that's typically what humans do. You know, we're gonna go there anyway, even if we know this is wrong. But we're gonna, you know, we're gonna let profit talk first and money talk first, and then we're gonna realize, oh shit, we have like millions of displaced people and cities that are underwater. What do we do now? Oh, maybe this climate thing is real. Maybe we should do something about. That's kind of unfortunately what I see happening because our leaders, you know, the the people that run our corporations and stuff, they're, you know, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of them are the kind of people that have no scruples really, and they'll do anything to achieve the goal that's best for them rather than for the planet or for other humans or whatever. And so you can't really count on that community to be like, come together and make a change. You know, we always hope like that these summits are going to do something, but then you see they appoint a guy who's basically a fuel industry boss, like to run the COP28 and you're like, okay. And then you're surprised that he says there's no science behind stopping to use fossil fuel. Like you can't, you can't possibly be surprised that this is happening. I mean, look at the guy, you know, sure. He plays a nice game in front of the camera because he's a good, you know, that's why he's in his position, but it's a joke basically. So, so I think we're going to go bad and, and then it's going to get better because we'll have no choice. You know, we'll be with our backs against the wall. It's like, if we don't change this stuff, then we're just not going to survive. Exactly. Yeah. One thing we speak a lot about plant-based news and we're very passionate about, obviously the agriculture side of the climate crisis just isn't spoken about. Like people are obviously starting to speak more about fossil fuels, which is great, but just everyone is ignoring animal agriculture, despite it being get like emitting a huge chunk of greenhouse gases themselves, but also using up all this land and fresh water and causing all this pollution. And yeah, the COP conference last year, they were serving beef. I think they were again this year, but they served at least mostly vegan food this time. It's just so frustrating that we're here and we're like screaming at the rooftops, like this is happening, this needs to change. Is the environmental side of veganism something you're passionate about as well? Yeah, absolutely. It all goes hand in hand, you know, and in the end, yeah. I think I want the same thing that we all do, which is like a future for the planet. I don't have any children myself, so I'm not that invested in that sense like a lot of people are where they want a future for their children. I just want I just want living creatures to live in some kind of harmonious state on this planet, you know. Um, we don't need billions of pigs and cows and stuff, you know. We just need some of them in the wild and some space for them, just like we need that for tigers and elephants and sharks and whatnot. And and that would be, you know, if we could all just, like, leave each other alone and let each other do our thing, and we already have dogs and cats and a few other domesticated animals we don't need anymore, that's cool, you know. Like, those are happy with us, and that works to a degree. And that that's kind of my ideal vision of the planet in some distant future, you know, where people are smart enough to be like, this is a nice balance. Let's, let's let this be. Um, that's what I look at it. And, and yeah, the whole, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that there's so many lobbies from the animal agriculture it really reminds me of when you read about what happened in, you know, decades ago with sugar and stuff where, you know, they're trying to blame everything on like fat. People are like, oh, if we eat fatty foods, that's really what causes heart disease and makes us unhealthy and stuff like that. And that was all a lot funded by the sugar industry. So you'll buy more Coca-Cola and candy and stuff. And now they're realizing that like, yeah, that shit also gives you cancer and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and all that. It's basically just as bad as just, you know, they, they campaigned so successfully. Just like the whole, like when I was growing up, it was like, oh, you need milk for the calcium for your bones. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, that's, of course, the dairy industry putting millions of dollars into just making these stories up, you know, or an apple a day keeps the doctor away, like bullshit, you know, like it's it's all, it's all just what we have to realize collectively is that like, these people just want to make money. That's what they care about. They don't care about reality. They don't care about science. Like they care about the science that, you know, goes in their way, like that follows their story. Then yes, of course, but they're not there for the good of us or the planet. Like who's going to prove that, hey, I died because I drank too many Coca-Colas in my life and then I got cancer. It's like you can never prove what you get that stuff from. It's like all these, F, uh, are they called the PFAs, all the, the forever chemicals? Same thing, right? Probably Millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people will die from that, but we'll never prove it. Unless somehow they can establish some kind of scientific proof that this person had a lot of that in their body and that's what killed them. But it's very hard. So these big corporations between that and the fact that they have endless money and they basically buy themselves out of lawsuits, they get away with whatever they want. So people start opening their eyes to that. It's so terrifying, like how powerful these industries are. Like, are. I don't know if you heard about um, there was a high school student 
who tried to promote plant-based milk at her school. And her school district basically said, oh, you can't promote plant-based milk without promoting dairy. And then she sued her school district because she had her right to freedom of expression. Obviously, that like that was against her right to freedom of expression and she was successful. But like, how shocking is that? That like the dairy industry is so powerful that it's like you have to have dairy at your school. You can't be mean about dairy. It's It's so bizarre. I can't believe we're living in this world. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, it's just money talks. You know, it's 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 that's the downfall. The one down, the one biggest downfall of a capitalist society is that the people that amass money, like I said earlier, I've you know, I've seen that throughout my life in many different situations, and that's why I kind of get to this point where I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of the people that amass a lot of money are a certain type of people. You know, that you got to be pretty ruthless because if you're a nice guy like me, like. You know, your chances of becoming the next Elon Musk are unfortunately not that big. You ready to sample people? You got to be ready to like do whatever it takes. And you know, it's I might be wrong about that, so I'm not gonna say I know for sure. But you know, it seems that a lot of these leaders and these people that are at the head of these places that have billions of dollars are they don't care. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think you've got to be a certain type of person. everything they want so why would they care about what happens to you and i you know they, they they can buy islands and fucking planes and whatever and that's what they want apparently that's also where somehow they seem to need find their happiness is by owning a bunch of crap which to me is also very weird i mean of course we all like to have some things but isn't happiness a bit more you know rooted in other things than like possessions and a lot of money and you know yeah you gotta have enough money to be comfortable so you can enjoy life sure you know you don't want to be poor and i completely understand that and that's also another big problem in with capitalism is the the poverty you know that it, it generates but but yeah i i believe that like you know it's 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 just it's a human condition really you know there's no escaping there's no perfect system so the best you can do is what i believe you're doing what I try to do is just lead by example and share with people when they're willing to listen. You know, I, I have people nowadays coming to me asking me questions like, how do you, so what do you eat? Like, how do you do that? You know, like, how do you get your protein? And I'm always very like, listen, and I try to give constructive answers and because people need to make up their own mind. One thing, I don't know if you've had this experience. One thing I've noticed that really makes a difference is when you tell people who don't understand how you can be vegan or vegetarian that like, you know what, you could be vegan once a week because it seems to be this very black and white thing in people's minds. It's like either I'm vegan or I'm totally not, you know, and it's like it seems like this huge leap. And I, I've been telling people these past few years, like, why don't you just try to have vegan Thursday or whatever, you know, where one day where you're going to try some stuff and that day you just don't eat the usual things you eat to cut out animal products and then you see how it goes. And if you like it, cool. If you don't like it, try something else. If you just want to do it that one day for the rest of your life and eat meat the rest of the days, cool. It still makes a massive difference. Like if the whole world stopped eating meat for one day a week, it would make a big difference. It would be much better than it is now. So I'm always like, take every victory you can instead of trying to convince people that they're thinking all wrong and that they need to completely change everything because a lot of people just aren't going to do that. Yeah. And also by encouraging someone to try it for a day, that can also take away their preconceptions of what vegan food is like. They did a study recently that basically they gave people a menu and on one of the menus, they wrote that it was a vegan option. But then on the other menu, they didn't say it was vegan, but it was the same option. And more people went for it when it was when it didn't say vegan. So people see the word vegan on a piece of food and they immediately are just like, oh, no, I can't have that because it's vegan. So like now in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but they've started labeling things plant-based because they think it's more palatable, which is just so, it's so bizarre. Like I can't believe we've got here that like the media and society has just painted vegans as like so crazy and vegan food is really disgusting. Like I saw a video recently that where a guy was like, oh, name some vegan foods to people on the street. And people genuinely couldn't think of any vegan foods. And he was like, what about potatoes? What about pasta? What about vegetables? And they're like, oh, yeah. So it's just like you're eating vegan foods, but like (laughs) you don't realize that they're vegan. It's crazy. It's a very weird world we live in. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, humans tend to be tend to be in groups. You know, I had an interesting conversation with a good friend of mine one day, and, and I really liked what he said. He said, if you imagine that every human looked exactly the same. Like, let's say, you know, like if we all just looked identical and the whole planet was just covered with humans that are basically like you wouldn't be able to tell one from the next. They all look like you, let's say, you know, every person is just exactly like Polly. He said there would still be groups and people fighting over like who lives where and who does what and who doesn't do what. Like 
still be the same. I mean, yeah, we do have a lot of you know, issues related to racism and, and things that are based on our physical appearance, but I think it's just our human nature to be like, oh, they're doing that, and I'm going to do the opposite. You know, it's just it's just what we do. I think it's just our animal nature kind of that's there where we need to be in groups off from other groups in order to be able to create an environment for ourselves and survive. And I think that that instinct is so strong that, you know, what you described is just very typical. And people that are not into the vegan thing are going to look at that and be like, oh, vegan, I'm not eating that, which makes no sense whatsoever. But, you know, they don't feel related to that. They feel like it's something maybe they don't understand or maybe they're against because they believe that, like, you know, like I've spoken to people that are like, but animals were put here by God for us to eat. And it's like, okay you know if you believe that there's really nothing much i can say you know know, if you start bringing god into it then it's like okay you know like that's that's just personal beliefs like there's nothing to argue about Mm. and when people say things like that i'm like what do you think i I mean i'm not a religious person but like what do you think god would think about factory farming and what we're actually doing to animals it's crazy how people can just pick and choose bits like that (laughs) yeah yeah people love to you know people love to have their story and believe in it you know and and maybe you and i do that to an extent as well you know i don't know but because it's hard to know what's really right and you know i just know what i feel and i just know that when i look at animals you know like I have, I used to have cats, they all passed away now, but my wife and I have three dogs and, and just that is enough. You know, you just look at how intelligent they are and how much they like certain things and dislike other things and how, you know, just how much they want to be around and want to be alive and how happy they are when you treat them well. It's like, this is all animals. Like, yeah, again, you know, you're not going to see maybe that much happiness out of a snake or, you know, a spider because they don't really have a means to express those things. But I'll tell you, like when I was growing up, I had rats. I had pet rats, you know, which a lot of people oh, tell them that like, ooh, you had rats, it was gross. And all. <laughs> it's like I had a rat that like loved to lay in my hand and, and lay on her side and I would and I would rub her face like that and she would smile. <laughs> yeah. And it's like and this is, you know, I understand that rats are can be a problem, you know, and when they proliferate in cities and they can spread disease. And I understand I'm not saying like everybody like take the rats out of the street and put them in your house. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, I, to me, it's a very apparent and clear thing that animals are inherently not a bad thing. You know, yeah, you're not going to want to cuddle with a lion or a crocodile or whatever, like, you know, unless you're very specifically trained to do stuff like that. But that's also, I believe that a lot of animals should just be left in their territory to do what they have learned to do over the history of existence and and you know and for us to keep to our stuff and figure out a more constructive way to eat because yeah sure in the past people eating meat chasing you know hunting animals makes complete sense you know i completely understand how we got here like it's because you know our modern world the way you and i live today that's very recent like it's like a flash in the history of humanity even you know it's like the progress that's been made since 1900 till now it's almost unfathomable but before that, people needed what they needed, and it's fine. There were no vegan burgers or, you know, there weren't any real options. And so people did what they were used to doing and what they knew. That's fine. But nowadays, there are options. It's proven. You know, there's plenty of options out there. Like you said, in a city like LA here, like, you can't almost turn a corner without bumping into a vegan restaurant. So, you know, it's, 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 it's silly not to consider it, you know. At that point, it's like literally sticking your head in the sand and just being like, no. Have you ever like spoken to your bandmates about veganism? Have you ever had any chats about it with them? What do they think? Oh, of yeah, it? of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's come up because, you know, we have to we, we have to put food on our uh, riders and stuff to, you know, to get the right things everywhere we go. And so, yeah, that conversation comes up. And of course, some people are, are intrigued by it. Some people are like, ah, that's not for me. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But again, you know, I, I feel like even at that level in, in, in the band and crew, you know, just me doing my thing has people asking me questions. And I think that's always very cool when that happens. I like it when it prompts like, hmm, maybe there's something there or, or maybe I could try it out. Or, you know what, that thing you were eating, that's actually really good. Like, I'm surprised. You know, that's, that's much better than I thought. Because those are the little seeds that you plant that, you know, lay down the line will have a bigger effect. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever managed to turn anyone vegan on tour or anything like that? I don't know if I've turned anyone vegan, but I've definitely, I would say that, you know, I've, there's a few people that have really lowered their consumption of uh, animal products a oh, lot. Wow, that's amazing. After being mm. around, you know, and I think my wife, Hannah, way more even because she started being vegetarian at age 14, which would have been sometime in the late 80s. 
Oh, so, wow. Yeah, at the time, there was like nothing, you know, like the lettuce thing. Yeah, back then, that was that was a lot of work pretty much everywhere. So she she was really going, you know, against the grain there. She was she was big into like all the um, hardcore bands at the time, like that were kind of on the straight edge side of things, like Minor Threat and all those bands that really spoke out about that. And those bands would distribute PETA flyers at their shows and just really make a big deal out of it. They were very outspoken. And so she got into all that. She never went back, you know. She her parents thought, oh, well, she's fourteen. Yeah, next week she'll eat meat again. It's like, no, she never went back. I think she really turned a lot of people over the course of her life because when you're that hardcore about it in the in a time and age where there's no real restaurants that even cater to you at all, you know, it's it you get big reactions. Like she told me stories about how, uh, how I guess a, a parent of a school mate of hers like came to her house to yell at my wife's mom because yeah your daughter's like you know telling my daughter that she should stop eating meat and stuff like that tell her to stop you know like. mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. oh your wife sounds very cool and yeah going vegetarian in the 80s that was yeah as you say completely unheard of that was such a radical choice as well that's amazing what did she yeah. eat what food was there <laughs> yeah, right? i mean you know she made it work you know she's she's healthy she's a crossfit coach nowadays so i mean she's obviously very healthy and in, in great physical shape and uh and you know i think i think all it really takes is, is is to be a little bit resourceful even nowadays i think for vegans they still have to be resourceful at times when i travel i have to you know sometimes put in a bit of extra work to find what i need but but the bottom line is is that you know you if you really believe in it if you really have the passion for it then you do what, need, what needs to be done Exactly. It's so true. And I just have one more question. So what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about going vegan? How did you do it? How was your transition? <laughs> well, I, I became vegetarian first, which was easy because I think some of the hardest things to cut out, at least when I was when I went vegetarian in 2005, one of the hardest things to cut out was all the, the dairy products because they're everywhere, right? There's cheese and so many things. There's like, you know, milk, you know extract or whatever in so many things especially if you're going to like desserts and stuff nowadays like here in la it's pretty easy to find like i can find uh non-dairy uh, uh pain au chocolat you know like chocolate croissants like stuff like that I mean, they make everything here but for most people i'm gonna assume that that's not the case so i think you know if you want to really go vegan you have to first of all ask yourself the question like am i willing to give up a number of things like pizza and you know just stuff you know because for some people it's very difficult to be like i'm never gonna have a cheese pizza again you know so for some people it might be a case of like i'm gonna be vegan and then once every month i'll have a piece of pizza because again for me it's like i don't look at this radical thing of like being completely vegan or not to be honest with you i don't think you can really be completely vegan like are you gonna you know okay i know like tesla offers a car that has no leather but what are you going to do? You know, clothing, like, I mean, it becomes this very extreme thing, right? Where, yeah, a lot of choices you can make. I don't know how hardcore you're about it. I try to, every time I get a chance, I take the vegan option, you know. But sometimes I'm also in situations where it's like, what do I do now? You know, because the reality is, is that animal products are so embedded in everything. Yeah, it, exactly. We live in a non-vegan world and like, it's not always possible to avoid yeah i'll yeah. give you an example mm. like let's say mm -hmm. i'll give you a concrete example out of my life like let's say i'm at a show somewhere in some country you know out of like just pure ethics you know i could do that you know and i have you know but but also there's a part of me that says like okay concretely am i making a difference here by making a stand and telling everybody else like fuck you i'm not eating this piece of pizza maybe in some way that i am maybe some people will be like hmm, but you know at the same time i'm in this closed environment where it doesn't really matter because people believe what they believe already and you know those i've spoken with it about might have changed their ways or not whatever so it's kind of like how far do you take it you know and that's where i think sometimes maybe what we talked about earlier where people get this hardcore reaction about like oh it's vegan i don't want to have anything to do with it becomes comes from this radical perspective that they get that like all vegans are these like crazy people you know that are just like you know, the first thing they look everywhere is like is, is there like weather on this headphones like you know and and i get that i get some people are going to be that way some people are going to take it to the furthest they can and i have no problem with that personally that's fine you know if you want to do that and if that's that's the way to do it then it's okay and then you need you know there's always going to be extremes i think extremes sometimes like pita putting like these horrible videos in your face it's good sometimes people need to be shocked to be 
woken up. But on the other hand, I also believe that a lot of times moderation is where the change really happens because most people aren't extremists, just like in politics or religion, you have some, and then most people are somewhere in the middle. You know, there's a lot of gray area. So that's where I believe it lies. And so if you're going to try and become vegan, you have to ask yourself some important questions and maybe find out which boundaries you're okay with and not. You know, what are you willing to do? What do you think is reasonable to do? What do you? What is something you absolutely can give up? Because then maybe you should think about, is there anything I can substitute that with? Or am I going to have to have a cheat day? Or what am I going to do before you start telling everybody, I'm vegan. And then, oh, actually, I do eat pizza every Sunday. The important message is like awareness. Know what you're eating. Know what you're buying. Know what you're putting your money to. Because every time you buy a piece of meat that comes from, from this animal agriculture situation, you're supporting for more of that to happen. So I never put my money into it. You know, sometimes I get a plate of it in front of me and I didn't buy it. That's a different thing, but I don't, if I get the choice, I never put my money there. That's my choice because I don't want to support that in any possible way if I can avoid it. So those are, you know, I think it's a lot of, you not. You need to do your research, maybe talk to some other vegans, vegetarians, see what they do and how they do it. Gets, that's what I did, you know, before I made the vegan step, I talked to some friends of mine and who are already vegan and said, seriously, though, how do you get your protein? And I know it's like the cliche question that everybody laughs at. Yes, I get enough protein. I'm vegan. You know, but <laughs> it was important for me to know because before that I was eating a lot of eggs and stuff. Turns out I don't digest eggs very well. So it made me have a lot of like stomach issues. So I'm really happy I got to cut those out. But I really needed to understand that, like, for example, basic knowledge, beans and rice or like lentils and rice is really good combined full protein. You need to try that. You need to make yourself a bowl of beans and rice and see if that's something you can eat on the regular, you know, same with like nuts and things like that, you know, like you can eat raw peanut butter or whatever, or raw almond butter and get protein from there. And, and so you just need to kind of do your due diligence before you jump headfirst into something that then you're going to give up six months later because you're like, oh, that was way too difficult. Like, oh, finally I can eat my sausage. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's very good advice. Thank you so much. I think we'll end there. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Thank you for having me, Polly. No worries at all. Anytime. You've been listening to the Plant Based News Podcast. Our team also includes Phil Marriott, Polly Foreman, Daryl Savchuk, Triska Taylor. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll be back next time with more food, fashion, veganism, animals, and everything in between. <laughs>